But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And they were follow and and there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they, they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Father, too many times we approach this occasion in our worship. And we think about how the church needs, how you need us to give. Oh, Father, how backward that is. You own the universe. You have no needs. Our Father, we come. We need to give ourselves to be reminded that our giving is a token of what you've given to us. In giving these gifts, in giving your tithes, we're saying that God gave me everything I had this week. God gave me everything I've had this month. God gave me everything I had this year, all of my life. We come confessing, Father, that we are not self-made individuals. We come confessing that we're charity cases, completely dependent on you. That's what these gifts declare. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace toward us. We bow before you, our maker, our sustainer, and our redeemer. Amen. Be seated. The scripture that we read with Tyler just few moments ago from Luke chapter 23. We have been in the gospel. If you're visiting, we've been in the gospel according to Luke for several years now. We've gone line by line, episode by episode, scene by scene. And we've actually slowed down in this last week, in this last days of Jesus' life before the cross. This morning, uh, we see him leave. Pilate's courtroom under the order of execution. He's to be executed. So we only have one verse for text this morning. Uh, This is the only time. Uh, It's in the Gospels. Simon of Cyrene is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture except in Matthew, Mark, 
in Luke. We read in, in 1 Timothy, a scripture that all of us know, or most of us know, we learned it from childhood. All scripture is given by God, is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. It says all scripture, not some scripture. It doesn't say just important scriptures, just narratives, or just doctrine. It says all scripture, every verse. That means that God told Matthew, that God told Mark, that God told Luke, you be sure and include Simon Serene. Don't leave him out of your gospel. You put him where he belongs. You put him where he is. I have a reason for it. I have a purpose for it. So let's remember that this morning as we look at, at this passage. There's a reason God put him there. I'm sure you remember this. Uh, in 2014, uh, we looked at Simon of Cyrene. We looked at him from the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, this is not the same message. It's been changed uh, a great deal. Uh, the title of that message uh, was uh, An Encounter of Epic Proportions. This morning, we're going to look at, at Simon from another direction. Simon's two crosses. Before we do that, Let's pray and ask Jesus who was there. Let's ask him to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you once more. What a privilege it is to gather as priests this morning. Your priests, a church full of priests. You said that all your people, those who know you, we're all priests. We're not just prophets taking the word of God out to our families, out to our neighborhoods out to the world around us, but we're priests who come back before you for the world around us to pray. Our Father, we've prayed now for months that you would bless the junior high and senior high trips to RYM. Thank you for how you blessed. Thank you for the safety. Thank you that there were no injuries, no harm. Thank you that the buses functioned and did not malfunction at all. Thank you for all those details and for the blessings that are now ours through the teaching at RYM. We pray, as Tyler said, we pray that what was heard, what was said, will continue to bear fruit in the individual's lives, in families' lives, and in the life of this church. Father, we pray even now that you will begin to prepare us and prepare those conferences for next year. We do pray this morning, Father, for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs. Bless them and give them strength for these days, especially strength of soul. Cause them to look forward with anticipation. Our Father, we pray for Charles Yancey this morning that indeed his house would sell. We thank you for the blessing he's been to Christ Presbyterian. We pray that, Father, you would bless him in the days of head. Cause him to be a great comfort to Frida. 
We pray that you would comfort him in a way that he understands, in a way that he sees daily. We pray for Tom Jeffries this morning, Father. We pray that you would bring healing to him and to his body. And now we ask that as we open your word and we look at this portion, we look at this man, Simon, from Cyrene, we pray that you will speak to us by the power of your spirit from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Simon's two crosses. Part of the shame of the criminal under the dreaded sentence of crucifixion was being forced to carry his cross to the place of execution. Now, most scholars believe that he didn't carry the whole cross, that the the vertical beam was already up and that the prisoners only carried the horizontal beam to the place of crucifixion. Whatever Jesus carried, it was too much from him. For him. From the flogging that he had received that often killed those being flogged, he was too near physical death. He was exhausted. The soldiers saw that he could not possibly continue with that beam. And so they forced, forced this man Simon to carry the cross of Jesus. What do we know? Simon was from Cyrene. The minute we read his name and see him there, you've got to know there's a story there. Why did God include him? It's just a verse. Why did God include him? There's no no miracle here. No one is healed. In other episodes we've seen in Jesus' life, we've seen men and women who were wonderfully, wonderfully and powerfully healed. And it covers 10 or 12 or 13 or 14 verses. But no name is given. Here, it's only one verse mentioned one time in each gospel, each of the first three gospels. But the name is given. Remember when Jesus was at the coming into the town of Nain and there was a widow? Her husband had died and already, and now she was burying her only son, and this funeral procession was coming out of the city. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped the procession and did what we can't imagine. He raised that son from the dead. He brought him back from the dead and gave him back to his mother. But the widow's name is not given. The son's name is not given. Certainly that seems a much larger event than this. Yet this obscure man from the crowd, his name is given. Not only his name, but his address. Cyrene was a well-known town in northern Africa. It was located in what we would call Libya today. It was a beautiful plateau 10 miles from the Mediterranean. There was a large, very large Jewish community there. At one time, it had numbered 100,000. Now, that's just the Jewish community. It says he was coming in from the country. He was probably in Jerusalem for Passover. He was not a disciple. Look at the words. He was pressed into service. 
He was told to do this. It says he was seized. They made him carry. Did he volunteer? No. Did he want to carry the cross? No. This is a shameful thing. See, that's why the prisoner was made to do it. It would be a shameful thing to carry the cross of a criminal who was being executed. Let the criminal carry. Now, this was not a position for which you would volunteer. It had the connotation of degradation. It was no honor to carry the cross beam of the criminal. So we look at this. I want you to see first the wonderful and, and unexpected in the providence of God. Most of us pay much too little attention to God's providence in our daily lives. Look at verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Where and how did you meet Jesus? Were you a covenant child raised in a Christian home? Was it in Sunday school, a Sunday school teacher? Was that at a Billy Graham crusade? Was, that, was, was, was it when somebody took the time just to personally tell you about Jesus Christ? How did you come to know Christ? I think in our perspective, Jesus is very limited. God is very limited. In where he encounters folks. We think about church. Come to church with me so you can encounter Jesus. Come to Sunday school so you can encounter Jesus. Come to this Bible study so you can encounter Jesus. Simon met Jesus in the middle of an execution. Jesus execution. In the midst of a mob. Here's a man covered with blood. His flesh was laid open. By the flogging. If you had looked at him, you would have turned away. You would have said, I can't look at that. There's nothing angelic, no profound music. A man carrying his own cross, bloody, beaten, almost naked, dying. That's how Simon saw Jesus. He saw the nails being driven. Simon's conversion story began at a Roman execution. That's strange, isn't it? You wouldn't expect that. Let's go see an execution so you can be converted. Let's go see someone beaten so you can be converted. James Gardner was a colonel in the Royal Army. Sir Walter Scott wrote about him in Waverly, and Philip Doddridge, a minister and hymn writer, wrote about James Gardner's conversion. Gardner was a soldier. He, was, he, he just lived for adventure, lived to be out on the edge in a very ungodly life. On a July Sunday evening in 1719, he had been at a party with some friends of his, and after the party broke up about 11. He went to his room where he was to meet a married woman at midnight. As he waited, he began to examine a book that, began to look at a book, just flipping through the pages, that his mother had given him years before when he left home. The book was 
titled Heaven Taken by Storm. As he was glancing through the pages, and by the way, this is not Presbyterian. This is strange to Presbyterian ears. As he turned through the pages, he was startled by a light that was shining on the pages. He thought it was a lantern. But when he looked up, there was Christ on a cross. And there was this great aura, this, this brightness. And he heard these words, O sinner, did I suffer for thee? And are these the returns? End quote. Now, I told you that's not very Presbyterian. As Dodds wrote about it, he said he, he did not know whether the colonel saw a vision or had a dream. But something happened because he was forever changed for the rest of his life. From that evening, he became a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. He met Jesus. Jesus came to him while he was waiting for his partner in an illicit love affair. Now I'm not saying plan an illicit love affair and you go out and meet Jesus. You, no, please don't leave. You know, you know what I'm saying. Frank Barker, it's a friend of mine, Dr. Frank Barker. He's founder of he's, he was the founding minister of Briarwood Presbyterian in Birmingham. A church, huge church there where Harry Reader serves now. Frank has a powerful testimony. He was a fighter pilot living a pagan, ungodly life. And when I was preparing this message, I thought about his story. He was uh, returning to the base one night. As I said, he was a fighter pilot fighter pilot. He was returning to the base one night after a party. He was trying to stay awake. It was late. He'd been drinking. And finally, he just couldn't stay awake. He, he dozed off. And he was in the middle of a curve. But there was a dirt road running right off of that curve. And his car went straight down that dirt road. And when he hit the dirt road, he jarred him awake and he tried to get control of the car. He got control of it and stopped it. And when he looked up, there was a billboard, and the billboard had these words just emblazoned on it, bright lights. The wages of sin is death. That's what he looked up and saw. The next day, he couldn't find a minister fast enough. That's his own testimony. Now, God had already been dealing with him. Driving home from a party, shouldn't have been driving. And Jesus has a message for him. We tend to forget that Jesus can confront at work, in cars, on golf courses, at football games, at work. In places we would never, ever think we'd see. The wonderful and unexpected in the problem solved. Look at that. Where did you meet where did you meet Jesus, Simon? When I saw him, he was bloody and beaten on his way to die. 
Secondly, in the, in the Father's providence, Jesus was blessed by Simon and Cyrene. Again, as they laid, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming into the country and laid on him the cross. The night before Jesus had prayed in the garden, Father, move this, remove this cup from me. Remove the cup of taking the sin. Remove the cup of having to carry the sin and the guilt and the punishment. And God said, no, I will not remove it. But when God says no, what did he, when God said no, what did he do? He sent messages to Jesus. We saw one last week. But there's Jesus carrying the crossbeam. And in the province of God, working through the command of a Roman soldier, God lifts the cross from his son's shoulders for a brief respite. Remember this. Sometimes God's going to say no to your prayers. And it's very specific prayer and it's something that is bringing hurt and pain to you. And God says no. But if you look closely, you will find messages from him saying, I'm still here. And I still care. Last year at this exact time, Janet was in hospice at our house. We'd prayed three years that God would take the cancer completely away. He said no. He was gracious in that he gave us almost three years. People with pancreatic cancer don't usually have that. But Every day, every single day that she was in hospice, I could see the goodness of God and how he blessed during that time. He said, no, I'm not going to heal. I'm going to take her home. And every day you could see his hand of blessing, even as death came. Look at this. And you see that God actually blessed Jesus with Simon of Cyrene taking the cross. Thirdly, I want you to see an ironic salvation. <clears throat> now I'm going to switch to Mark's verse now. We've read what the verse that Luke wrote. Listen to what Mark said. And they compelled, again, it was forced. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene. Again, it looks like an accident. He's just passing by. He was entering. That's what Luke said. Luke said he was entering from the country. He's just passing. Here's the mob coming out. Simon's going in. Hey, you, get over here. That's how it happened. You take his cross. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene who is coming in from the country, 
But look what comes next. The father of Alexander and Rufus. How did Mark and Matthew and Luke, how, come, how did they all know Simon? He had just been a face in the crowd. They could not have known him unless he later became a player. They could not have known him unless they later knew him as a disciple. Mark is writing this, and he says to the people he's writing, you know him, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. You need to know that Mark probably wrote his gospel from Rome. We know that he was in Rome with Peter. If you look on your scripture sheet at 1 Peter 5.13, she who is in Babylon, that's the church, who is at Babylon, and Babylon was known, or Rome was known in the early church as the new Babylon. You know, Babylon was that terrible city in the Old Testament. Well, Rome took on that connotation, was often called the new Babylon. Well, she who is at Babylon, the church in Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. So Mark's writing in Rome, probably. And he says, you know, son, he's a father of Alexander and Rufus. They're his sons. At the end of Romans, you read Paul in Romans 16, 13, the scripture Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Simon of Cyrene was converted. He became known by the apostles and his boys were well known in the early church. When I began to understand this and where and where he met Jesus, I just began to laugh, the irony of it. He carried the cross of Jesus and then eventually he took up another cross. He had to. What was it Jesus said? How does a man become a follower of Jesus? How's a man saved from his sin? Now get this picture. Jesus bloody, almost dead, carrying the crossbeam. It's forced on Simon. That's the picture. Now, read with me. Look on your scripture sheet and read with me Luke 9, 21 through 24. He's just told them about the crucifixion of the disciples. He just told the disciples that he was not only the son of God, but that he came to die. And We read, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see that? In other words, he's saying, I'm going to die by crucifixion. And when you're being crucified, you men know that you you carry the cross to the place of execution. And if you want to follow me, 
It's not that you have to take up my cross. It's you have to take up your cross. What did he mean by that? In other words, you've got to take up the cross like the executed man takes up the cross. And you've got to be executed. You've got to die to sin and die to self, die to your ego to live for Christ. When Jesus first introduced the idea that he would crucify, the disciples were appalled. Messiahs don't get killed, especially they don't die by crucifixion. What a shame. And then Jesus says something more appalling. It's not only that I must do that, you must do that. What was it that Paul said in Galatians 2.20? It's there on your scripture sheet. I have been crucified with Christ. I've died. It's no longer, and he goes on, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Simon had to take up another cross. Now, in the early church, somewhere along the way, he was named a saint because he had carried the cross. That's not what saved. Maybe, maybe, Maybe as you first heard this, you said, man, I wish I would have been there. I would have gladly carried that cross. I would have carried that cross beam. And every one of us would have thought, yes, we could merit our salvation. We could deserve ourselves. We carried the cross of Christ. He was compelled, remember? He did not volunteer. He was pressed into service. Probably when he was called a saint in the early church, they thought it was because he had carried Jesus' cross. No. It was because he became convinced of who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. And he died to self. He took up his own cross. If Simon had not picked up the second cross, his own cross, that first cross would not have meant a thing. To him. The wonderful and unexpected in the providence of God. In the Father's providence, Jesus was blessed by Simon of Cyrene. An ironic salvation, most ironic, and finally, very briefly, where we see a man in Simon, where we see a man, God in his providence sees a lineage. It's right there. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. The father, by the way, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. You see, it's not only Simon that's going to be saved. It's his whole family. When God, remember when God saved Abraham? He saw an entire lineage. He said, this promises to you, Abraham, and your children. When God saved David, he saw an entire lineage that would even come down to Christ. When Jesus saw Simon, when God saw Simon, he saw a lineage. Simon came home from Jerusalem, back to Cyrene. 
with a strange story, he returned to Cyrene telling his wife and sons how he had carried a man's cross to a place of execution and that the man had been nailed to that cross. And that man was the Messiah of Israel. This is important to me. My father did not come from a Christian home. Came from a good home. A moral home. A home that really supported him. But if there was any Christianity in it, it was just nominal. As a teenager, he encountered a Methodist minister. Can you imagine that? A Methodist minister. And this Methodist minister told my father about Jesus. That's how he became a Christian. When he was in, when he was in high school, after he became a Christian, he had appendicitis one day, and he's just a teenager. His emergency room, they wheeled him in, wheeling him into surgery. And Dad's, you know, sixteen years old, and he stopped the doctor and he said, "Can we wait a few more minutes?" And he said, "Preston, we need to get this out." He said, well, there's a minister coming, and I want him to pray for me. He was a serious young man. When you ask me physically who's the most important person in my life, I don't hesitate. It was my father. He was the most important man in our family. He's turned out to be the most important man in our family for four generations. You know, Simon, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. That's what Jesus was doing on that cross, and that's what he's doing in the state. Our hymn is most appropriate. How deep the Father's love for us.